Welcome to Geek on Film with your hosts, Robbie Holmes and John Hoche. Welcome to episode 26 of Geek on Film. This is Robbie. Hey guys, it's John. What's up? Episode 26. I know. It's uh, it's exciting. I feel like we uh, we started off, we weren't sure what the cadence was going to be. Um, I was looking back at it and I was talking to my wife the other day and it was, uh, so we started August 1st was our first uh, episode. And uh, so we did the zero episode and episode one on the same day because we're silly. And then three days later we did another episode and then a week later we did an episode. Then we took a gap for 13 days and then we went weekly. So uh, we we settled into the weekly format, but it's, it's been uh, really fun to sort of, uh, get time on the calendar to talk to you uh, once a week uh, yeah. for the last three months. Like it's pretty great. Yeah, I think yeah, because I think we originally talked about it being like a like every other week situation. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm happy that it's so, so far worked out. Yeah. yeah. So and uh, we're, we're you know we're starting to hit some really interesting numbers. Uh, I think uh, our this episode will push us over a thousand listens. So there's there's uh, nice. more than. Uh, your mom and my mom listening, which is pretty cool. <laughs> um, and uh, it's it's great to get uh, and, and mentioning that I, we would love to get some more feedback from you folks. Uh, so head on over to geekonfilm.com. Uh, we have our Twitter account. We have Instagram. Uh, we're geekonfilm.com on Twitter and Instagram. We're over on Mastodon. Uh, so lots of places to talk to us. Um, also, if you're on Spotify, there's a built-in Q&A process. You can always talk about how you feel about this episode. Awesome. Um, and it comes directly to us as the creators. So yeah. um, with all that said, uh, oh, yeah, ratings and reviews. Five stars is our favorite number. You should probably go do that. Yes. Um, even if you don't like us, uh, write five stars and tell us terrible things. But five stars really helps us out and gets more people to pay attention to us. So yeah. I'm pretty pleased with Sugar on Top. Go uh, help the geeks uh, and give us some, some ratings and reviews. Love us. We want you to love us. But <laughs> we're, we're, we're willing to take notes, really. So Yeah. You know. uh, let's jump into some uh, television that we watched this week. So uh, I revisited our friends in What We Do in the Shadows. I uh, needed awesome. something light and airy. I, I, I've had a cold all week, and my wife was away. So when she came home, I was I, we wanted to watch something and didn't want to get too deep into things. I feel mm-hmm. like everything we were watching has been really heavy. Uh, so we, I revisited a couple of earlier episodes of what we do in the shadows and then jumped back into episode six and seven, awesome. uh, uh, are the new ones I've watched. Uh, I don't know that I giggle more at a show. Uh, the, the episodes that I watched this week included the vampire council, yes, uh, which, that's is the best one. The, which is just so ridiculous and silly. Uh, it's all these actors who you, uh, do not expect to be a part of the show, uh, playing, who've played vampires in uh, popular culture mm-hmm. coming back to reprise their roles. So you've got like yeah. Paul Rubens, just so many amazing, like Danny Trejo. Spoil it. Like you get <laughs> Wesley Snipes as Blade. You get Wesley Snipes on his, on a Skype connection, uh, which is even better. Like yeah. he's so funny, um, but you get Taika and you get Jerome, uh, the original vampires, right. Mm-hmm. From the movie. Uh, it's, it's a blast. Uh, I, I don't know. There's, there's very few shows that make me smile more than, than this show. So yeah. I feel like when I need a reprieve and I've had like a day, it's pretty easy to be like, I'm going to watch a, a 28 minute episode. That's going to, I'm just going to be grinning by the end of it. My cheeks are going to hurt. Um, yeah. it's true. It's, it's so fun. Uh, 
you know, we also, my wife and I are also like hometown people on Discovery. So on Discovery Plus. So uh, mm-hmm. it's a show that takes place in Laurel, Mississippi. They rebuild houses. Uh, so we Got watched it. a couple episodes of that this week. But what's amazing is we we always have to remind people like we're 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 we joke that we're like bougie people, but we really love those types of shows and mm-hmm. we really love home renovation so much so that like when we bought our house, uh, our mothers uh, bought us a joint gift that was the the pastel drawing of our house done by Aaron's company uh, wow. from hometown. So we wow. literally have like the homes estate on our wall done by the woman from the show, which is pretty unbelievable. That's cool. Nice. Yeah. You need to get like um, a sign in front of your house that like says the homes estate or the homes home. Yeah. Our backyard has, uh, so we have a little tiny dog. He's never had a backyard. Uh, his name's Max. He's like 12 years old. So in the background, in the backyard, it, it's, uh, it says Max's, uh, what is it? Max's yard. Uh, yeah. So Max actually has a sign, like a, a granite sign that's in the backyard. That is Max's, awesome. uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, we do. We need a Holmes Estate sign on the front of the house. Um, let's jump over to the thing we watched together for sure. Uh, the Last of Us, episode two has landed. So let's talk about that, John. Yeah. So this is, you know, once again, we're, I mean, this had a huge opening last week. Everyone is talking about it. This is the uh, HBO Yeah, the, the numbers were like 4.7 million. It's like second to House of the Dragon, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the this is the post post apocalyptic show based on uh, the hit video game series on that you get on PlayStation, um, where it's like not quite zombies, but kind of zombies, but it's uh, it's a fungus based versus a viral kind of situation. Um, this episode, you know, uh, th- they are they are really taking video game beats very seriously here. This is yet another level. Uh, in the video game that I've played where they're trying, you know, they're trying to get the girl to where she needs to go and they have to go through um, kind of like the, the city that's now overtaken by um, plants and, you know, landed and, um, and there's a bunch of, you know, just people all like with gross fungus growing on them. Um, The things that we learned in this episode are pretty cool where, you know, you're learning that like, you know, if you step on a fungus like over here on the on the ground, you know, like three miles away, like a fungus, a fungal person will or a clicker, as they're called, will can be, you know, alarmed and come after you and stuff like that. So that's based on all like real, real stuff that happens in our scary, scary world that that is nature. Um. And we get a, we get like a really good look at what the clickers look like in this episode because uh, there's a bit yep. of a click attack. Um, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm I'm not in love with Bella Ramsey yet, but I think that I think, I think this episode was definitely starting to. I, I was warming up to her for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's like yeah, it's like we're taking the long road with, with her, I think. And I think that's purposeful. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a super solid show. I think the, the world that the world building they're doing and the world that they're creating is the most interesting thing to me. Um, also the game is frustrating. So like revisiting and like revisiting it in a different medium. I'm like, Oh yeah, I hated this level. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was laughing to myself. I almost tweeted last night. Like, I really can't believe that uh, they didn't have to do this sequence 22 times. Cause like, I, it's just the way that game works is like, you constantly, constantly screw up, especially when you're, so the, the infected there, there's at least three that they talk about, right? There's this sort of the newly infected, which are, they often call runners. And then there's like a hybrid, which is the first, like at, by your get by the time you're getting closer to a year, they're starting to have this sort of echolocation and they also are moving quickly, mm-hmm. um, but they can still see. And then when you, the, the group that we're talking about a lot is the clickers, which is like they've now lost all ability to see, but they 100% echolocate, but they are like really sort of maybe at the high point of their power or at least the ones you've met so far. Right. Um, and and I think what's cool is they made the decision um, to go away from the idea that these uh, all of this infection is done via spores. Mm-hmm. In the game, the characters wear gas masks a lot. Uh, and I think Pedro Pascal was like, no more masks. Uh, you get to see my beautiful well, face. He uh, on set, so... So uh, what's interesting is I think the the choices they're making that are deviating from the game are actually improving the storytelling ability uh, for it to be a visual story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the idea that like uh, the transmission is through a bite, but and also through these fibers um, and sort of absorption. Um, the idea that a single that that the fungus is one large organism that can transmit information. Um, we, we come across like a group of probably three or 400 infected who are all laying on the ground in the sun because uh, mm-hmm. there's nothing for them to do. Uh, but they're kind of moving in unison. Bunch you of then, lazy, yeah, lazy infected. Uh, but at some point you see uh, someone who's newly infected get killed and then you see the fibers come up out of the ground. And now that actually transmits across to the main horde that something has gone on and there are people yeah. there. So now like, you know, 700 feet away, 800 feet away around a corner, around a building, this group is activated and they come to life. And, and it's, it's maybe one of the scariest moments I've seen in the show. So there's a lot of like really amazing moments, but seeing the horde activate and then like the mass, the, the, the mass of fungus and man coming all is like one, thriving mass of unit it, it it's it really does feel have that feeling of like these are all interconnected species like it doesn't feel like these are individuals right they have like one purpose and it is to come and kill these people um and that's really scary yeah um, there um there's something that there i mean spoilery spoiler alert a little bit but like um one of one of I mean, it's only the second episode, but one of the characters that I really like, unfortunately, probably won't be seen in a further episode. Yeah. Um, and there, and there's a moment when, like, they're approached by someone who's in, like already in the horde and infected, uh, and then kind of they get like embraced into the horde, and like that moment was like, it it reminded me in a different way of like how in Aliens when like a like a face hugger like latches onto someone and it's like there is a visceral kind of like there's like a it's almost it's an it's a like i think that ridley scott kind of says it's almost like they tried to make it almost like a it's almost like a like a sexual attack you know what i mean Um, and like seeing this person like just slowly approach the 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 character and like the mouth open then the tendrils come out and then just like it kind of like 
there's an yeah. intimacy to the to that like encounter that mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting. You know, there yeah. you go from this really like horde of of like like unbelievable horde of like mass of humanity and fungus to this moment of like quiet, like intimate connection and then absorption into the larger horde is what it feels like. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like bringing someone not just to be like a newly infected, but like to bring them into the larger group is what it yeah. felt like. Yeah. It was, uh, I was not expecting that. Yeah. But I really like it. I'm really looking forward to seeing more of it. Um, I, we're getting closer to the point where I'm like, Ooh, 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 I've, I've done this, uh, which I really can't wait for. I can't wait to stop comparing this to the video game because uh, that's all I'm waiting for. Uh, if you yeah. watch the after uh, the recap, <clears throat> uh, you get a chance to see Neil Druckmann, uh, who created the game, talk about seeing the clickers in person for the first time and how he basically cried. He was like, it's beautiful and scary and exactly what I always pictured, um, which is pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. There's 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 a lot of care going into this show is the way I would put it. You know, like the, the group that is doing the, uh, the makeup and the prosthetics, they, they were interviewed. Uh, Neil Druckmann is interviewed for almost every one of these episodes, uh, the creator of the game. And, and, you know, there's just so much, um, like genuine affection for the, for the material they've created. Uh, and it comes across like I'm, I'm getting that parasympathetic, feeling of like these people love the thing they created and it comes across in every one of those like little videos afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I think they're doing a really like, this is something HBO does, but I think this group of people is extremely empathetic and caring and, and really love they've, they've lived with this material for a long time. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. They know that I think they've sold 21 million copies of the last of us, you know, whether it's the first game, the remaster, there's there's a built-in fan base for this game, right. and it's because they there was so much love and care put into the game, and it and it worked. And I think Neil Druckmann understands what he has and how special it is, and that that absolutely is oozing off of him when he's being interviewed. Totally, yeah, yeah. It's good to watch, kind of stay past the credits, and uh, and they, they HBO always does a podcast, uh, a companion podcast. If you want to check that out, but you should yeah. listen to that after you listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's jump over to some films we watched this week. Uh, I finally broke down and watched X. Wow. Uh, so John's, John's fault uh, finally comes to a head. Uh, put my, wife was, my wife was traveling and uh, I, I sat down and was like, well, it's uh, I have a list on Letterboxd of my 2023 catch-ups and this is one mm. that's in it. And uh, I... So what's cool, we're not sponsored by Letterboxd. Letterboxd, if you'd like to sponsor us, pretty pleased with Sugar on Top. Uh, I'm a patron there. I I love the service. But what's cool is you can create a list or a watch list, and then you can say, I would like to give only movies that are streaming on this list, and I'd like you to shuffle them so that way they choose a random movie for you. Um, And what it does is it it shuffles your list in the different order. Uh So I shuffled, and... X wasn't at the top, but it caught my eye. It was right there. And I was like, I know it's available. It's on Showtime. It's on Shutter. Like, let me give it a try. Uh, and it was like the perfect time. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, well, uh, you know, it's, it's not dark yet, you know. Um, but I will give the movie a lot of credit. It does a really great job of um, slow rolling the horror aspects. Yes. Uh, I think that. You know, people talk about like 
the waste of an hour in some of these like psychological thriller horror movies. Mm-hmm. I, I never felt that. I think they did a really good job of like fleshing out, <laughs> uh, fleshing out mm-hmm. the, the first portion of the movie, which is all about making the porno that's happening, you know, the farmer's daughter. Mm-hmm. But I think you spend time with all these characters. You get all these perspectives of like what they're getting out of being in this movie. Why? Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that that really is something I liked about this. It, it doesn't, it doesn't play into the longer aspect of like, in my opinion, the kills at all, but mm-hmm. it gives you a sympathy and an understanding of who the people are. And they're not just like paper versions of a character that you're okay with seeing killed. I think yeah, it's the, not like just like body count fodder. I yeah. Think. And I really like that. I think, you know, there's, there's a really fun moment where the, the group is sitting around talking about being in a porno or, be shooting sex scenes and stuff like that. And, and Brittany snow and kid Cuddy both have this like air about them. That is like, I was given this, mm-hmm. like it would be, it would be terrible not to share this. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that's really cool. Like it's, it's a, it's a confidence that they have, but also like, it's not, I'm going to make a lot of money. Like I, I'm going to use what I have to make them to make money. But like, there's something about Brittany snow that just feels like I was born with all of this. Like, why would I sh- not share this with the world? Like, right. people pay a lot of money to look like me, you know? And I think there's some really, every one of the characters has slightly different motivation for what they're doing, you yeah. know? Like, and I, and I really like that. Like, it doesn't feel like it's, there's no hive mind here of the players that are the kills, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think Kid Cudi's great in this movie. I think he has yeah. a swagger and confidence that really is... But also like the fact that they're playing off the fact that he's a veteran, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that, you know, the, the aspect of his character is that he's like unflappable basically, right? Like, oorah, you know, once, once a Marine, always a Marine. And I, yeah. I think there's all of that plays into why these characters don't flinch that, why they're scared, why they're, so you get a little bit of a, a nice um, rounding of each of these characters before they're killed or before they're, before they become a part, larger part of this problem. Yeah. And I, I think that they set every character up, like you're saying so much so that I, I do think that, um, you know, like, um, Pearl is a prequel to one of the characters in this movie, but I think that everyone is set up so well that like you could do a prequel for every single one of these characters about how they got to this farm. And yeah. I would be very interested in, in all their stories. So, um, yeah, it's it, uh, the thing that I remember, um, a lot about the movie too is like there is that idea of isolation like there's a lot of shots where the screen is just full of like the landscape and then um and then the character that we're focusing on is like super tiny like in the center or or they're moving from like one side of the screen to another and i think that really plays in well with the idea of like the 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 people that you know the people that are that own the farm like they are these it's an elderly couple and they're isolated and um you know like uh the 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 woman doesn't want to be isolated she wants to feel young and beautiful and wanted again um so yeah it's a really enjoyable it's a really enjoyable movie uh, uh especially one in in the genre that i like um and i can't wait for you to watch pearl now I, I will say I'm really impressed with um, the way the movie shot. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you're talking about this aspect of like, you know, scope and, and, and uh, you know, isolation. 
there there's an amazing shot with Mia Goth where she jumps in the lake mm-hmm. and and she's wearing like a denim like uh overalls uh, overalls and and she's on this dock and she goes to take them off and the camera pulls far away uh, and it feels a lot like late 70s early 80s slasher movies mm-hmm. like when you get those pullback scenes in like Friday the 13th but like she's naked, but she's this like small like matchstick in the middle yeah. of this like green forest, mm-hmm. you know. Like, and I think there's something really beautiful about the way they shoot that. It, you know, there's no pulling away from nudity in this movie, but I think the way they handle certain scenes visually, right? It's you're seeing you're seeing Maxine like we, we see plenty of Maxine, but we, yeah. in that moment you see how isolated she is, right? You're at the lake. There's no one else around. The lake is all there is in her world at that moment. And then she swims for a little while. And eventually there's that that shot from above, like this beautiful drone shot where she's swimming back to the dock. And eventually something scary appears in the scene. But even that is so like soft. There's something beautiful about like this overhead drone shot of like it's just lake as far as you can see. Yeah. You know, it's 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 Maxine, dock and lake. And, yeah. and those they, they, they're making some really great choices in the visuals and the director of photography does a really great job with so much of this, even the opening shot, right? You, you open on the frame of the door, right? Mm-hmm. In the barn, uh, in the house, and it's slowly coming out of there, but it looks like it could be a four by three framing, like, it, like it's set in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and you realize that the, the door frame is framing the movie for you. So there's a lot of playing with those ideas that like subtly are changing the way you see this movie because yeah. there are a lot of scenes that are shot in four by three, right? Like the porn itself is shot in four by three. Like mm-hmm. we see a little bit of that. There's a television with a preacher on it that is constantly like running in the background on like an old school, like black and white tube television. So yeah. there's a lot of, you know, uh, it's set in 1979. So that's all you would have had, you know? You, you may have had a color TV, but it was a black and white television, but it's this like beautiful, like antiquated art deco-y type television, like with a bulbous like screen. So mm. it looks even more hyper-realistic. Like it's, it's modern for the fifties, but not right, modern yeah. for the 79. So I think there's a lot of that in this movie that um, I think set dressing makes a huge difference here, right? Like you're, you're set into this, like the whole thing takes place on a farm but the farm off in the distance, you have all those like oil dikes and stuff like that that are in the background that give you a much, they're far away. So every time there's a distance in the background, there's nothing between them and these oil derricks, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the thing that I think is really interesting is it, this was shot in New Zealand. So it, New Zealand is a stand in for Texas here. And and the, the they found a spot that feels like Texas um, yeah. when they went there, but also they, they, they do stuff with like forced perspective. They, they like move the, the eye line for the horizon a little higher at times, which makes the sky feel smaller and the world they're in bigger. Mm-hmm. I think they do some things in the, in camera on purpose that actually add to the isolation and the, 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 sure, yeah. the world feeling just a little off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I did. I, I'm I'm interested to see Pearl. Uh, I think I'm. I, I know you're excited about Pearl. I think I'm really excited about the next movie. To be honest, well, you can't get there until you see Pearl. I I know, and I don't even want to name it. So, 
Um, I think the thing that's really, I listen to a lot of interviews with people, including Ty West. And um, apparently if you went to South by where this debuted um, at the end of the movie, the original trailer for Pearl played as an after credit. Hmm. So no one even knew the movie was coming, but he had cut the trailer already. So if you were in the debut audience at Sundance or or at South by you sat in the audience, the whole thing runs and at the very end, it cuts to the trailer of Pearl and the audience like lost their mind. Like it was apparently one of the best like festival viewings for that and Barbarian, I think are the two from last year that everybody talk about. Like when Barbarian debuted at Toronto at TIFF, it was mm-hmm. nuts. But this one, everybody was like super on board with the film. And then there was no notice at all. And the screen cuts and up comes the Pearl trailer. And everybody was like, what the hell is going on? And like the audience was just, and Ty was there. So he got a chance to talk about it afterwards, which was really cool. Um, and in the interview that I listened to, it's on the big picture. Uh, he even says like, yeah, uh, w- what's your next film? And he's like, oh, I've already finished it. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And it was the day before it was going, like the movie was going to be debuted at South by. So yeah, he was like, you can't put this out until afterwards. Like, um, <laughs> so it's a really cool, I, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here that I think is really cool. Uh, not just about the movie, I think yeah. Ty West is is an interesting guy, the things he's been working on. So I, I'm interested to see more of this. The one standout I want to call out that we didn't get a chance to talk about is Martin Henderson, who plays Wayne, uh, the guy who's like sort of funding the film. Mm. Uh, w- when Ty West talked about casting, people came in and he was like, everybody who came in to be cast was like smarmy and like a little slimy trying to play like 70s porn guy. And he's like, Martin showed up and he was like, uh, he had the energy of like high school football coach. Like he's like sort of like the cheerleader for getting everything accomplished and just solving problems. And he's like, he walked in knowing the character and he was like, I I don't have to do anything. Right. Like Hmm. you, he's, I don't even have to convince you to play the character. He he walked in the door, like kind of perfect. Um, but he, he read the script and understood who the character was. He wasn't slimy. He wasn't smarmy. He was, he was sort of the guy who was like, I'm going to give it, I'm going to make some money. We're all going to be a team. Like, and that was the energy he came at the audition with. And he, so he talked about that as that Jenna Ortega. He said like, you know, we are in the middle of something that is so super special, right? She's getting cast and everything. He's like, but she came to the table and she was game and she was, she was ready to play. But also she asked a lot of like really interesting questions in the audition. And uh, one thing he asked all of them was like, what do you want? Why do you want to be in this movie? And that was a big part of their auditions was like, can you play this character? But like, why do you want to be in this movie? You know, like Mm -hmm. he hadn't made anything in a long time and it's sort of a porn slash horror movie, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you, you of all people would really get a kick out of that interview. You should go listen to it over on the big picture. Cool. Um, Switching gears now to, I think something very different. Um, I have not seen this one, but Robbie checked out, um, Wendell and Wild on Netflix is a, uh, I think it, th- this is kind of making a little bit of um, uh, commotion in the awards circuit, but not not as much as I think it should. But this yeah, is another definitely stop, not stop, as much as it should. Yeah, but this is a stop motion animation uh, film that's on Netflix come out in uh, around October or something, and you might recognize some of the names. Uh, there are some uh, characters voiced by Mr. Uh, Keegan Michael Key and Jordan Peele in this. Uh, tell yep. me about that. Yeah. So uh, this is a Henry Selick joint. So if you don't know who Henry Selick is, uh, you know who he is. Uh, you may not recognize his name, but he is the animator and the main force behind uh, Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas. 
He -hmm. also was the person behind James and the Giant Peach. And uh, so there is a lot of amazing animation that this man has been a part of. I mean, let's Uh, let's. I'm gonna like put this out there. Everyone like gives Tim Burton all the credit for Nightmare Before Christmas, but the dude was barely on set for that movie. <laughs> Let's just say that he also like, did Coraline, Henry Selleck. Like right. this is a this is a creative monster, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, so everything I understand about Selleck is he tends to uh, find a, a material that he wants to adapt, and mm-hmm. and then he will find an artist whose style he wants to use through the adaptation. So, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas is is very much Tim Burton's art style and a little bit his story, right? Like the story was mostly made in songs, to be honest, uh, if you watch any of the documentaries or anything behind it. But, you know, uh, so Henry Selleck is this amazing director who really pulls and he's also like a Jersey boy, man. He's from Glenridge. Uh, so uh, he he is this uh, amazing person who can visualize these stories into stop motion animation. Uh, but he aligns to usually one specific art style in the stop motion. Mm-hmm. So like Coraline was designed by a specific artist and, and the world then came out of that. I think mm-hmm. the same thing, if you look at like Tim Burton's nightmare before Christmas, you you have sort of some base designs that Tim Burton has. And then beyond that, like Henry Selleck really creates the world. I think that's what he's really amazing at. Um, The story goes that he saw his kids playing, uh, being mischievous, and he wrote down this sort of treatise for what became Wendell and Wilde. They were little demons. Uh, And he sort of put it on a shelf for a long time. And uh, and then he (coughs) eventually saw um, Key and Peele in their second season. Mm. And he was like, God, those guys would be Wendell and Wilde. Like, they would be perfect. Uh, And then reached out to them and was able to sort of secure them. Uh, One of the podcasts I listened to made a joke about like Keegan, Keegan, Michael Key got the script and he like, he signed his name and he's like, yeah, I can totally do this. I got, I got three other things that day, but it'll be cool because that guy just works constantly. And, and, and then you get Jordan Peele just being like, you're Henry Selleck, Uh, you know, and like, I love stop motion animation. Have you seen the logo to my company? Right? Like, um, so I just feel like there's a really interesting aspect of the two of them being a part of this, but it takes so long to make animation that they, uh, if you think about it, Jordan Peele uh, hasn't been in front of a camera, hasn't been in front of a camera uh, since long before this movie started shooting, right? Mm -hmm. He's, he's transitioned to director, producer to, so uh, what's cool is in, in the process of them becoming uh, part of this world, uh, Jordan Peele also started becoming part of the story creator. So he and Henry Selleck reworked the script and they sort of changed things. Originally, the story was supposed to take place around uh, the nun at the the all-girls Catholic school. Mm -hmm. And he was like, the the story should really revolve around the girl. Like, we want to bring in more children. Um, This is a movie that you should watch. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is absolutely one of the most gorgeous uses of of stop-motion animation. Um, It's it's different than other stop motion. His, his type of stop motion animation is very different. It's very angular. It's, it's very, uh, it's stylized, extremely stylized, but he also uses like cutout animation. So like paper cutouts as part of this world. So, um, yeah, the story is very convoluted. If I start explaining the story, it's going to, we're going to devolve. The movie basically says for like 35 minutes at the very beginning, like, here's a thing. We're going to put a pin in that. 
Here's the thing. We're going to put a pin in that. And and you eventually get to the end where it all comes back together. And you're like, I don't know how anybody air traffic controlled this shit back together. Cause it's like, you know, almost an hour of like exposition and setup of the world, but then it all comes back together in the end, which is an astounding feat. Uh, I think it's dense is the thing I would say about it. Like the story is dense. The amount of characters are dense. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy watch, especially if like this world is not familiar to you. I think some of the amazing aspects are there's a character named, uh, named Raul that is, um, that is part of this all girls school. And it is because they've transitioned and there's no real talk about that. Like, so there's a transgender character that is just a part of the world, which I really like. Um, and, and really, uh, it, it just adds to the world that they're a part of. Um, mm-hmm. It feels a very real lived in space for something so stylized and over the top. Um, there's like demon hunters and like, it's just, there's so much going on here. Um, I won't waste a ton of time talking about the story. I will say uh, it is gorgeous. It is a fantastic use of a voice cast. Uh, there's, there's a clique of girls at the Catholic school and they are not mean girls. They're just a group of girls that want to be friends, oh, which is nice. like playing against stereotype in my opinion, right. you know, uh, Ving, Ving Rames plays Buffalo Belzer, who is the giant demon that Wendelin Wilde uh, is their father and uh, they live in his nostrils and they put hair cream on his balding head every day. Uh, yeah. Uh, but every time you hear Ving Rhames' voice, you're like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's so charming. There's so much going on in this movie. Uh, it has an amazing, amazing cast. It has an amazing soundtrack. Um, the, the opening sequence where you meet Kat, the character, when she goes to the all girls school, she's wearing a like worn out and faded fishbone t-shirt. That, that should give you a sense of where this music is. It's like, there's a ton of like Afro punk. There's a ton of like, the movie is gorgeous. It's, it's use of sound is unbelievable. I love the soundtrack. It, it has the, it has X in it. It has like, it is, it is a movie that is sort of made in a lab for Robbie is what it felt like. Well, cool. that's awesome. Yeah. You should watch it. I, I don't know that it's, th- this is a movie that I think would be difficult for the Oscars to really embrace because of how dense and how specific it is. Um, I think especially within the year where there's so many other movies that are much more feel goody and, and a little easier entree into the animation space. You know, I think Marcel is easier to approach, right? Like Pinocchio is a very well-known story. I think turning Mm -hmm. red, right? Like you've got all these movies that are easier, I think for people to become a part of or, or to embrace, Whereas this extremely dense like stop motion animation film made by like one of the greatest stop motion directors of all time is is not as easy to approach is the way I would put it. Gotcha. Cool. Definitely have to check that out. Um, yeah. W- w- next movie came up on the list of in the notes. I was like, what? Um, so this is one so- I've owned the 4K of for a long time, and finally it was like, well, I, I guess you know. So yeah. So. Uh- uh, Luke Besson's, uh, I, I don't think this did very well, in my opinion, right? Like, but no. uh, Valerian, the city of a thousand planets. Talk to me, uh, why this is coming up now, what you thought about it. This is the this was the first time you ever saw it, or 
yes, this is the first time I've ever seen this movie. Okay. Uh, I am a huge fan of The Fifth Element. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, I well. I bought this because it was on sale. I, I bought it. I probably got it for like eight eighty eight or something like that. It was like one of those days that one of the sites I was on had a sale. And mm-hmm. uh, I was like, I've never seen this movie. So uh, I hear it's gorgeous. Uh, let me buy it in the best possible format. And uh, I sat back and was completely apathetic to one of the most, what should have been one of the most beautiful films ever made. Uh, and it has beautiful people. It has beautiful environments. The The colors should be popping and gorgeous. It's it's a little muted for what it was created here. I, I, I'm so confused by what they created. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the comic it's based on is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many unbelievable ideas in that comic book. I mean, <clears throat> even like the the market that takes place in a, in the in an alternate universe, those mm-hmm. sequences are so well shot. You have like the layers of the worlds. You have the world you're in. You have the world where the market is, and then you have this like third crossover world where a, a character has a hand that goes through a box that allows him to like be physically in both worlds, including holding a gun on the other side. It's yeah, it's crazy. Some, Those sequences are a lot unreal. of high concept. There's like a lot of high concept uh, sci-fi things in in this movie, and I, th- I I don't remember when the the comic came out. I was not aware of it until like I started when this came out. I was like, well, I love Luke, Luke Besson, yep. although he is a bit problematic, I guess nowadays. Um, so I started to kind of like think, like uh, research the comic and. Yeah, the comic I think inspired a lot of modern sci-fi movies. Yep. Um, and there's a beautiful hardcover version of the comic that mm. like is a really good introduction. It's it's like oversized. It's it's the one I have on my shelf. It's it's really beautiful. I think the for me, I would have I would have loved this movie, and I think I think this movie, honestly, um would have been much more successful if they just, if they cast it differently. I I, I just, you're hitting on the thing I was going to say next, like Dane, Dane DeHaan and, and Cara Delevingne have negative chemistry. Yes. They also just do not, Dane, Dane has done some amazing work. He is ill suited to be the swashbuckling rebel, like yeah. cop guy. He, they needed, he, he has like, no young, gravitas. Yeah. yeah. They needed like a young Han Solo, like a young Harrison Ford. Yeah. And they got Norman Osborn from amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, like it, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like it's crazy yeah. how much that casting affected this movie. Yeah. I, 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 I try not to, I mean, I try not to like blame, too much, but I like, I don't know. Maybe I'm not going to blame him. I'll blame the people who cast him. Um, yeah. yeah it, I think he like, was just miscast. I think that's, yeah. and I think Cara Delevingne is one of the most beautiful women in working in film. And I think she has a lot to offer. I think the way the character was written is supposed to be this like standoffish, like I'm not impressed by major Valerian. And, and that doesn't come across as charming or empathetic or, and she has this natural aloofness because of her, like model-esque beauty that it, it just hurts every scene they're in together. Um, mm-hmm. There are a couple of moments where she smiles at him where I'm like, maybe, but it, it really, 
yeah, it's it's not it's not a movie that I think uh, effectively cast except for one character. And I think that's Rihanna. I think Rihanna mm. as bubble was, was a really inspired casting. I think it was the, the, the thing she gets to do as that character is pretty awesome. Um, but I also don't think the character is the most uh, evolved way to tell that story. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I love what they did with bubble as a character. I think Rihanna was, you can't take your eyes off of her, right? Like this is one of those moments where you're like, Rihanna is has that it factor and and boy does it come through in this. Like the yeah. ability to like showcase her ability to entertain, to seduce you with her eyes, with her singing. Like she's she's fantastic in this in this movie. Yeah. It's it was a real I was really kind of really looking forward to this movie and really sad when it came out because there's so much going for it. Uh you know, yeah. like it's like there's some high thinking sci-fi in it. There's some yeah. fun like like lowbrow stuff is and all the all the designs of all the creatures and the aliens are really amazing yeah um the, the suits that they wear like are really cool it's like it literally is just like <clears throat> if i can't get behind the avatar of, of the story that i'm supposed to like want to be you know what i mean yep. like if i can't get behind dane dehan i was like ah, this sucks i'm sorry I, I will say there's some some really good things about this movie, right? The yeah. movie opens up <clears throat> with the idea of like a uh, you know a a, a space uh, like um, platform where uh, one country connects to another, right? So it's set in the '70s, and you get this like four by three grainy, and and the whole thing is soundtrack to uh, Ground Control to Major to Major Tom by David Bowie, mm-hmm. and and what's amazing, especially watching it the way I did is all that grainy footage is four by three in the center of the screen. And, and the music is very like mono it's coming out on both left and right, but it's flat and very mono. Mm -hmm. And then when it transitions to 2020 where the, there we move towards the future, the, the image slowly pans from four by three to full 16 by nine. That's cool. And as it does, it goes from mono to Dolby Atmos. So you get this like, like this expansion of the sound. It like evolves around you. Like it feels like a wave of sound is crashing through you and around you. It's one of the coolest effects I've had happen in my home in a long time. Mm. That's cool. Um, not like you can put a lot of, um, you can't like there's I was just looking through that scrolling through some of the trivia on IMDb, which is like some of the stuff's totally made up. It's just like Wikipedia. Yeah. But I, think I remember this one kind of being talked about is like um, this is like a like France funds movies like some other countries, that, but America doesn't. I think this is, and they say that this was the biggest, the most expensive movie France ever made. Mm-hmm. So 180 million or something like that. The, there it, are sequences of anim- animated, like CGI characters that are some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen on camera. Yeah, totally. Um, the the planet with the pearls and the replicator, like that world of, mm-hmm. I forget what it's called, like Mao, Mew, mm-hmm. um, is is unbelievably beautiful. And, and it's so sad. The other thing I mentioned is like, I don't think they did a really good job. I feel like they didn't do a great job with the HDR on this movie. You have this gorgeous film shot by Luc Besson. The colors should be like 
vibrating off the screen. There's so much color. And the the 4K I have, it was so muted. There was it should have been electric. It should have been and it, it doesn't come across that way. Like mm-hmm. you get beauty, but it's subtle and muted. And and I don't think that's what the, this this comic is trying to tell you. So I think the color grading they went through at the end doesn't really match the world, the movie they could have created. They, they could take right. another pass on the color grading on this movie and make the movie more beautiful. And I, I right. that I don't say that kind of stuff very often. Like this is a movie where I think, boy, an, a, another pass would and, and a re-release of this movie would be good, to be mm-hmm. honest. It's not a good movie, and I would I would very happily buy another version of this right. if it was better better color graded. Well, and how are they how, they're gonna what are they gonna CGI Dane DeHaan out of it? Because that's how I want. <laughs> I wasn't being mean, John. I was being real. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, talk to me about so um, you've talked about this filmmaker before, but uh, you've just watched Cha Cha Real Smooth on Apple TV. Yeah, Cha Cha Real Smooth was a indie darling uh, that is the second film of Cooper Rafe, who made Shithouse. Uh, this is a movie where he uh, wrote a story around. Uh, so, so he writes sort of semi autobiographical movies, is what it feels like. He he acts in his own movies, he directs, and he writes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a tough road to hoe. But he also writes characters that are. Uh, empathetic kind of assholes. Uh, he doesn't just put his character on a pedestal, which I really like. Uh, mm. In this movie, he wrote the story of a postgraduate uh, young man who has gone home, who doesn't really have a life or career yet, and he's living at home. He's sleeping in his uh, baby, his younger brother's room, um, and he finds his way to going to and taking his brother to bat mitzvahs and and uh so that his his mother uh gives him uh lets him take his brother to a bat mitzvah because uh she is uh has had a something has happened previous to us meeting her uh and uh that's leslie mann playing his mom and she's amazing uh she's unbelievable in this movie um and she may be bipolar or manic, might be manic depressive. I forget what it was. Mm-hmm. She, she has some mental instability and, and is uh, at times has some issues and apparently had an issue before this movie with one of the parents of the child who's having a bat mitzvah. So uh, Andrew played by Cooper Rafe takes his brother uh, uh, David uh, to this party and uh realizes the party's sort of a dud and starts being playful and playing with the kids and getting the kids engaged. Uh, and then, uh, sees a beautiful woman and her daughter, uh, sitting off to the side. And, uh, it's Dakota Johnson playing Domino and Vanessa Burr, uh, Burhart, uh, playing mm-hmm. Lola. Cool. And he goes over and he tries to convince them to come and dance on the dance floor. And, uh, he's like, listen, uh, I bet you a thousand dollars I can get you guys up and dancing before the night's out. And Dakota Johnson very pointedly says like, I will pay you $300 if you can, if, if you make this happen. Uh, and uh, it turns out that Lola is on the spectrum, has, has autism, uh, doesn't really like to engage, uh, doesn't, this is not the world she likes to engage with, but she likes to be at these kinds of things. Um, and uh, he ends up getting Lola uh, to get up and dance with him. 
and Cooper Rafe is playing with Domino and playing with Lola and playing with his brother and playing with everyone. Like he, he just has this ease at the party that you don't see from adults uh, in this space. Uh, he's kind of part child, part adult is the way I would put it. And uh, it leads to him being offered to be like a party starter um, nice. at the rest of the kids who's theirs, bat mitzvahs. Um, the movie has so many beautiful and poignant moments. I think Dakota Johnson, her character of Domino could be very one note and could be very um, like cliche. And she is a hundred percent. Not that Dakota Johnson is phenomenal in this movie. Um, I mean, she's, we, we talk about, I talked about the it factor with Rihanna. There's not a moment in this film where you are not falling in love with Dakota Johnson's character from the moment you meet her, from the moment, like, and it's all because of the way that Cooper Rafe is seeing her, is framing her. I think he has this uh, innate ability to, like, give you his perspective, which is why I think his movies really resonate with me. Um, and Lola, the actress who plays Lola, is on the spectrum and is unfreaking believable. Like, her relationship with Andrew is beautiful and is, and and he, he fumbles, he makes mistakes, she, like, gives him shit, right? Like there's, there's a reality to the way they interact. That is unbelievable. Very cool. Um, I loved it. I absolutely think I am uh, on the Cooper Rafe train. Mm. I, I will watch anything he's a part of. I think at some point he's probably going to have to focus on the writing and directing aspects and less wearing all of the hats. I think mm -hmm. his ability to sort of do this at his early portion of his career is giving him perspective that I think is going to be really valuable going forward. But I think right. at some point he will either act in other people's films or he will focus on writing and directing is my guess. But um, yeah. I don't want him to stop making these films. These, mm -hmm. these are intimate, like slice of life, adult films about, you know, people growing and changing at different aspects of where they are in their life. Mm -hmm. Shithouse was him playing a character that was sort of sad and broken and wanted to go home from college. And I think that is like, a story a lot of people could align to. This is right. a story of like a person who's finished college and is like adrift, doesn't know what they're going to do next, falls into this world of becoming a party like starter. And uh, it, his, his movies are uh, really sort of heartbreaking. Um, he, he learns he's, he's sort of, he does dumb shit. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think there's a, a protection of uh, th these movies never get to the point where it's like you you're you're cringing because something goes too far. You're cringing because you can empathize or like or you see the the world is seeing him differently than he sees himself. And I think mm -hmm. that is really powerful. Cool, nice. Yeah, I loved it. I absolutely. It's on a Apple TV Plus right now. Um, they acquired it, I think, coming out of South by last year. Um, and it's been on, it's been on Apple TV plus for a while. So, uh, even if you don't have a piece of the hardware, you can absolutely install the app and, uh, it's worth it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, one last movie before we get into our main review. Um, I, so, so Puss in Boots, the last wishes, um, the last wish is, uh, now available to rent or own on streaming services and, and it's still in theaters. Um, and this movie's awesome. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that right away. Um, I of all the characters 
that have come out of the whole Shrek franchise. This is my favorite. When he first appeared, uh, when Antonio Banderas first appeared as Puss in Boots, I don't remember what Shrek it was. I was like, this is this is the best thing ever. What a what a like a a, a superb joining of a character and a, and a voice. Um, so you could just close your eyes and watch this movie and listen to this movie and just like listen to dulcet tones of of Antonio Banderas um, speaking and you'd be super happy. But the movie's really great. It's a really great story about kind of mortality and um, living your life to the fullest. What happens is, uh, you know, Puss in Boots is a he, he's a carefree, swashbuckling uh, adventurer. And uh, he has wasted all his he's on his ninth life as a cat. So uh, he's been told that he has to take it easy and not, you know, and not do anything dangerous and he can't adventure anymore. And it kind of, kind of sucks the life out of him. Um, so then he hears of the wishing, uh, like the, the wishing star. Um, and he goes on an adventure to get the wishing star to wish his, his nine lives back. And he meets some really great characters. The, the voice, the voice cast for this is really, is really, really great. Um, besides, uh, Antonio Banderas' Puss in Boots. You have Salma Hayek returning as Kitty Softpaws. She was in the, um, she was in the 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 first um, the first Puss in Boots movie, and they have such a good rapport together. And um, you've got um, Harvey uh, Guillen, uh, who is from um, you. You'll know him from What We Do in the Shadows. Um, he plays Perito. And he's this cute little chihuahua who's pretending to be a cat um, when, when you meet oh, him. Yeah. You've got oh, yeah. Oh, on the Salma Hayek thing, uh, I listened to a podcast that was talking to, um, uh, I think it might have been the director of the movie, and mm-hmm. he directed them separately. And Salma would say, Salma would say things like, oh, no, that's not how Antonio would do that. And, and like, so she could, she could absolutely, she did like a full Antonio Banderas version of the film for Amazing. the director most of the time. So like she would know how to react and she would know how he would ad lib. So like right. there were things in the script where like she would do it on script and then she would be like, this is what Antonio is probably going to do. So they know each other so well that you, yeah. I, I'm glad to hear that that is an aspect of what came through in the movie. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, now that you have, so kind of one of the, one of the antagonists, or a, a group of the antagonists is Goldilocks and the Three Bears, and you have Florence Pugh as Goldilocks, you have Ray Winstone as Papa Bear, Olivia Coleman as Mama Bear, uh, Samson Cayo as Baby Bear, and then you have John Mulaney as Big Jack Horner, not Little Jack Horner, uh, because he doesn't want to be a little boy anymore. So he's like, it's it's very very funny. Um, you know, like these this world continues like this whole Shrek world continues to like subvert fairy tales, but then embrace them at the same time. Um, and this was the first uh, of the kind of Shrek films to kind of embrace a lot of what they did in, into the, into the spider or Spider-Man. What is it? What was the first one called? The second uh, one into is the spider verse. Is that the second one or the first one? I don't remember. The second one is across the Spider-Verse. Oh, but into, yeah. So into the Spider-Verse, like where there are like a little bit of different animation styles. It's not as conventional in some points. The action sequences in this are amazing. 
the first scene before like when you when you you know credits go or you know lights up we meet puss in boots again he, he does a musical number and he fights a giant and it's like the action the way the camera follows him around what they have him doing is like so amazing um this is like definitely one that like i think should be on the top of everyone's list to watch it's really really enjoyable um anyone could watch it like you could watch it with with kids you could watch it i watched it by myself obviously um and it's fantastic it really is. It's and, one that we we had debated about it being the main review. To be honest, yeah. I, I definitely spent a little time trying to figure it out. Um, and like, so Death is a character in this, and he's he's played by a wolf. I don't think he's the big bad wolf, but he's a wolf, and it's a, such a cool interpretation of Death. And also, the soundscape in this movie is really great too, because like, whenever you know, whenever. Uh, Puss in Boots like whips out his sword. It makes cool like you know swashbuckly sounds, and then the wolf has these two giant sickles. And just like when they, when he takes those out, there's like this like really intense like metallicy sound effects and stuff. I don't know. It's just really great. It's just a it's a really really fun movie. I would highly recommend it. I I am interested in seeing this. I think uh, what what's held me back is I don't know that I saw the first Puss in Boots. So I've been trying to figure out if I if I would like to sort of revisit the sort of Shrek introduction and then Puss in Boots the movie and then this. Well, I think I honestly think that these that the Puss in Boots stories are kind of they're kind of like novels where you could just like it doesn't matter which way you read them. You'll enjoy mm-hmm. them either way. Like if you see this movie first you'll enjoy everything about it. And then if you go back and watch the first movie, you'll be like, Oh, that's how, uh, you know, that's how, um, kitty soft paws and puss in boots met for the first time. Or yeah. I don't even think the first time they met, it's just that, um, it's like, you know, they, they've had a long feud kind of thing, yeah. but I think, I think it, I mean, if you were to just watch this one, I mean, I haven't seen puss in boots in the, in the longest time. Um, and they 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 don't leave you out. They don't leave you stranded. It's like anything. This movie is like they give you enough information, and the story is written really well, so that like you're not like, wait, why why is this happening? Oh man, now I got to watch the first one. It's it's <laughs> all it's all like in there for you. So, but I I I honestly would also to me I would skip the Shrek movies because I I'm not a like I can, I can only do so much ogre. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, <clears throat> this, he's an orange, cute, swashbuckling kitty cat, and he uses it manage. <laughs> so I'm all about more Puss in Boots movies. Cool. Uh, I'm excited. I will probably watch it. Uh, I feel like there's a, a little bit of a lull uh, in the next week or so, so it might be one of the things I pick up. Uh, so let's jump over to our main review. We're gonna uh, spend some time uh, probably praising uh, women talking, is my guess. Uh, I got a chance to see this film uh, back at Middleburg. I was really excited to see this film. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to like really put the cart before the horse here, but this uh, is probably my uh, top film coming out of Middleburg. It was probably the best film I saw there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was one of the most moving experiences I've had in a theater uh, when I saw it the first time. And uh, I rewatched it. I went and saw it with my wife and, uh, 
I will say on second watch, it is as devastating or more devastating as you see the movie unfolding the way it does. And now you know where the next scene is going to be or how something's going to be, what's going to turn uh, mm-hmm. and and how people are going to, uh, how the way their, their character is talking about something now is going to transform. Um, I, I, I'm so impressed by the movie itself. The, the, the directing is so um, unbelievably confident and uh, not, not even confident. It is, it's, it's powerful. The, the way the camera moves, the choices that are being made in a sort of a uh, single location shoot. Um, I, I was really impressed on revisit of this movie, knowing that it was basically shot in a green screen box um, is unbelievable. Yeah, so for people who don't, for people who uh, aren't familiar with the movie, it's a movie that is about. Um, I, I, first off, is this this is a Mennonite colony, right? This is not an Amish colony. Correct. correct? It's a Mennonite colony. Yep. Yes. So what what the movie is about a group of women in a Mennonite uh, colony, and what has been happening for years upon years is. Um, not only um, physical abuse, but sexual abuse, sexual trauma uh, that happens in the middle of the night. Um, And these women are abused. They don't know who their abusers are. They know that they are in the community and they are forced to bring, if, 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 if through, you know, through rape, if they are impregnated, they have to bring this child to full term. And then um, it's a really hard movie. And uh, and what happens is uh, one of the attackers is found out. Um, So all the men kind of go into the city to kind of deal with that situation. And all the women are left with just the, it's just the women and the children and what happens is uh, a group of the women get together in a barn to talk about what they're going to do. Are they going to do nothing? Are they going to stay and fight or are they going to leave? And yeah, for the most part, that's mm-hmm. what the movie's about. It's, it's kind of like, um, well, it has, it has two phases at the beginning. <clears throat> One is, uh, the, the, um, they, there's a dialogue. There's sort of a narration that the, these women did not know how to read, uh, or write, but that mm-hmm. day they learned how to vote. Uh, yes. So it was the three choices that John just laid out. Um, and then it came down to two of the choices were tied, which was uh, stay and fight or leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so three representative families were, were uh, brought together to uh, make the final decision for uh, the entire colony of, of where they should go, whether they should stay and fight or whether they, mm-hmm should leave. And, uh, each of them is representing these three families. Uh, there's like multiple generations, which is really nice about that. You yes. get like yeah. grandmother, mother, granddaughter, right? Like you get mm-hmm. a couple of families that are sort of the anchor. I feel like of this community, um, or maybe just the biggest families too. Yeah, um, maybe like the, with the most lineage, maybe I'm not sure, yeah. but they definitely, there is, there's a lot of them in the room and, and they, they all, they all get to say. Yeah. Um, 
This movie is super hard to watch, but super moving. I think the f- biggest, the, the most frustrating thing as an outsider watching this movie is like, why the fuck do places like this still exist? And yeah. I, it's really like, it's hard to say because you're like, well, everyone has right to religious freedoms and, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But it's, it's super, it's terrible if, you know, like that things like this exist. And I know this is based on a novel. I don't know. If, like, do you have any idea? Like if this is like common practice in the Mennonite. Uh, so I think if you, if you look or... at the Wikipedia page for the book, it, there's a bunch of links off to articles uh, that are references that I think were um, articles written about some of the things that were happening mm-hmm. um, in that world. So uh it is a, I believe it is a, a fictitious novel, maybe based in reality and based mm-hmm. on some truths. Um, right. I, I think the, the thing I want to really focus on with this movie is there's been a lot of back and forth, uh, especially in the critics world about sort of the choice of color grading. The second time I get to talk about this today, uh, the world feels very washed out. It's very sure. sort of yeah. monotone. Um, and there are these very wide shots, like it's mm-hmm. it's it's these extremely wide um, use of of camera lenses, which I think is actually showing the world. It's showing that the world could be bigger, right? I think there's a lot of again some choices in the cinematography and in the choice of colors here. Mm-hmm. Is there's this world is sort of a world of grays and and mobs. It's it's a it's a drab world that these these women that we're spending time with live in. Uh, mm-hmm. They are the light in the space. The the women and their their love for one another, their support of one another, their understanding of what one another has gone through is what is beaming off the screen, not mm-hmm. the world. Um, <clears throat> there are some amazing performances in this movie that I think really need to be shouted out. I think you've got you know, the, the cast alone is unbelievable. This is the movie that I've been pushing from the very beginning this year that there needs to be an Oscar ensemble cast because this is the movie. If I, mean, I seen this movie last year, yeah. this would have hands down my, I would have been like, well, best ensemble 100% goes, goes to this. Yeah. Um, there's also some amazing individual performances. Um, the one that we should talk about that's probably a surprise is Frances McDormand is in this movie as Scarface Jans. Um, mm-hmm. And she is a producer on this film. And I think she very smartly like leaned in to get this movie made. Um, I feel like her being in the movie uh, added some weight to it. I think as a producer, she's producing it. Um, the character is a very small character, but very instrumental in one perspective of what they could do. And I think yeah. she yeah. has this like weight and gravitas to when she's performing that you realize like, I, I'm so glad that she took on the burden of that role, right? Because she, her thought is like, forget, stay and fight. It is do nothing. It is. And, and that is a hard stance to take for us as the audience. But she believes that like they will end up in heaven, right? It, it's all about forgiveness. That is what religion is all about. Um, and it, it's, it's a, it's a very powerful, small role is the way I would put it. Mm. Um, I, I don't think that she even would have a shot at best supporting actress, but the weight of Frances McDormand, she's only in the movie about eight or 10 minutes, but she really impacts the story and, and 
the moments you see her are really impactful. Um, we come back to her later. We see her with her children. There's some something really awesome about because there's a lot of bigger, showier performances. But I, I, I didn't love three boards, uh, three three billboards. I thought it was good, um, but I think she was great in it. I think Nomadland was not a movie I really loved. I think she was great at right. Like I, I think this is one where I think the movie is great and she brings a lot to it in a small role, which I, I'm really excited that she was a part of this. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Uh... I th- I think I- I'm very happy that like she's attached to it because I think then the movie got made to be honest. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that I don't, I-, I don't share the same love for her as-, as you may have, but I do have the feeling thinking about this movie where it was like, she held so much weight in the room and I was yeah. really happy when she was gone. Yeah. Um, and so like, and if that's, if that's what the character needed, then, then she did, she accomplished that in spades because, um, well, I think she was the ultimate contrarian to the rest of the women in that loft. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like she, she was the lone dissenter that was stay and do nothing is what it felt like. And um, her family is important. So, um, I think her voicing that, giving us that perspective and then basically leaving to let the rest of the conversation happen was an important aspect of this story. I mean, in, in a, in a way it was kind of like, Hey, I'm Francis McDormand. Now yeah. go, go appreciate these other female actresses kind of thing. Like, I'm going to get out of the way so that this movie can really take off. And well, um, it can, can cook. I mean, you let, yeah. you know, Rooney Mara and Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley are, are, I mean, any one of them could be nominated for best supporting actress in my opinion. Uh, and that's not to take away from like <laughs> uh, Sheila McCarthy. And every time she was like, I need to tell a story about my horses. Like she's unbelievable. She has so much weight and, and, and softness to the way that she plays that character. And then Judith Ivy as sort of the maternal, like godmother of the community. Uh, mm-hmm. It just, there's so many, and, and all the way down to the young girls, right? Like um, yeah, well, even, Kate um, Hallett and Liv McNeil, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And like, uh, yeah, Michelle McLeod, McLeod has like, sh- she's, they all have different experiences with their trauma and they're all dealing yeah. with their trauma ways. And I think that that's really important and really exciting to watch on screen and kind of show that everyone deals with things differently. And it's really interesting. Like Michelle McLeod is a character who smokes. She has panic attacks. Whereas like yeah. Jesse Buckley Jesse Buckley's character. She is one of the ones who is like, we stay. We're we're not going. We're, we have to stay. And she's a volcano of emotion. She's like, very yeah. She's like very angry. She's very sympathetic. And she there's a there's a scene where Michelle McLeod's character kind of has a panic attack. I I would I would classify it as a panic attack or an anxiety I think so. attack. And Jesse Buckley's character like calls her out on it, and she's like, "Why are you the only one who like this happened to all of us?" You know, why is it only happening to you? And it's just a really interesting kind of moment of just like, yeah, because we all deal with our traumas differently and everyone's trauma was different. For example, like, like, and, and, and Sheila McCarthy, uh, Sheila McCarthy's character, yeah. she's an old woman and this is still happening to her, I believe. And she got yeah. her, got her teeth punched out yeah. in the middle of it. 
And she's like, yeah, she has dentures that are too big. She ends up taking them out and apologizes. But then in that moment, we see a flashback to her hand holding teeth and blood. Yeah. Um, And it's while she's older. Yeah. She like wakes up and spits a bunch of teeth out. It's, it's terrible. uh, You know, what's, what's happening to these women in this colony. And, and um, yeah, it's just like, uh, in the beginning, you're kind of like, God damn it, just fucking leave. Yeah. But you go on this journey and you you all the characters get a really great spotlight and you really get to like know all of them and understand that they're also generationally been kept in the dark. They've been yeah. kept uneducated. They've been, you know Yeah, they don't trained. even know where they are in the world. They they don't have yeah. any concept. So at one point they're like, you know, we don't know where we would go. And uh, we haven't talked about him up to this point, but August played by Ben Winshaw is the, he's, he's there to take notes. He, he is a, he's a teacher of the children whose family was excommunicated because his mother had thoughts and voiced them about what the world should be like and how the colony should be run. And they got excommunicated and Ben Winshaw went to college and came back to be a teacher for the children in this yeah, case well, for, the, for boys. the boys. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. and, uh, there's a great moment where somebody says like, we wouldn't, we don't know where we would go. And he's like, well, I, I can, I can get you a map of the world. I can also get you a map of this area. And, and there's a moment of like revelation where like they could learn that it wasn't even in their mind that they could have access to something like this. And, and it was an interesting moment. I felt like where August's character is basically shoving them very cautiously towards the leave position through the whole movie. And this is one of those like moments where he's like, but like, but you, I I can help. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and I think there's a subtleness to the way he describes it, which is like supporting the leave aspect, um, is what it feels like to me. Yeah. And, and I really like, I, I was like, wow, when we talk about this movie, I really want to talk about Ben Winshaw and, and his character, but I don't want to like focus on him because like, we're also like two cis males and talking yeah. about a, a, a movie about women. But I do want to give credit where credit's due. Like his performance is, is moving and it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And he's also for the, like, he is also the only man who gets, uh, FaceTime in the movie in a sense, like um, when they talk about when there are flashbacks, when they talk about the men of the colony, they're never shown like in full screen. Like they're either yeah. about, or you see like the image of them, which is like kind of like the long button down shirt underneath the overalls and the hat. You see them at a distance. Um, you see them in the darkness. And I think that was really, really uh smart choice not to kind of humanize the men yeah uh, because they haven't humanized these women in forever you know um I, I really want to talk about the three women who sort of uh the movie revolves around mostly you've got rooney mars character ona claire foy's uh salomon salome and jesse buckley's march um mm-hmm. i think there's an interesting aspect of like rooney mara is uh is pregnant from an attack uh wants to leave does not want her child yeah. to be born here uh, yeah. But I think is open to the conversation. Uh, Claire Foy's character is uh, is unwilling to leave, 
but also would like to stand her ground and declares that she will become a murderer if anyone yeah. touches her children again. Because the, um, uh, her her daughter is the one that was being attacked, I believe, right? And then they I discovered so. her attacker. Um, she is just like livid. Um, and she, yeah, all right, and continue. And a little side note on her character. At one point, her daughter is sick. She has an infection and has antibiotics and they're surprised. And mm-hmm. her mother says she walked with her on her back for a day and a half to the clinic. So yeah, that's like the power of her character. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. The um, the she, third character is is Jesse Buckley's character, right? And she is much more about like uh we stay and we eventually make it into heaven. Uh and and this is the life we live. Yeah. And it's the only life we have and and she's afraid of change is what it feels like and she's also afraid of the implications of leaving. Yeah, um and, and she I wants think to them, yeah, I yeah. believe. No, she wants to forgive them, I believe, right? I, I think she accepts that for for that for giving them forgiveness will be the right path based on the life and the teaching she's been a part of. Mm-hmm. She can't, but she's so angry. There's so much anger in her in that stance. It's it's amazing how much closer I think her and Claire Foy are than mm-hmm. than they acknowledge at the beginning. Um, but she is defensive in her in her stance almost always protecting herself uh, in this sort of like hard edge all the time. Um, And I think each one of them goes through this journey where Ona uh, Rooney Mara's character is obviously loved by August uh, and he's been in love with her since they were children. And they have these beautiful and small and intimate moments that Mm -hmm. I think really uh, help you see who Ona is. And also that there are men in this colony that, are like August, not many of them, but there is an August, right? They've, they've been exposed to what a, a good man could be like. And, and Ona, I think has this sort of like hope in her that it's possible to live a better life. That's, that's what it feels like. So there's like hope, there's anger, and then there's sort of like resignation, right? Like the three of them are, are playing sort of these three high level characters, in my opinion, for the story that they're telling. Um, and I think Claire Foy's character goes on this really amazing revelation where she starts to acknowledge everyone else's like experiences. And then she has a moment near the end with August that I think shows that she isn't as down the rabbit hole of hate and murder as you imagine. And Mm -hmm. she has a soft moment with August, which I think is really important. And then Jesse Buckley's character goes through this amazing transformation of like, I don't even want to have this conversation to I, I'm angry at all of you for not just sucking it up and being a, dealing with this yourself. And then the final revelation of like, I can't abide this. Like we, we need to have the ability to like have our children be safe, live our lives and be like uh, and be educated and, and move forward. You know, like. Yeah. There's an amazing transformation that each one of these three main women that I think are the main characters we spend a lot of time with in the movie. Um, yeah. I was so moved by all of their performances. Like I, I come back to, I think Jesse Buckley's ability to sort of simmer uh, and then explode and then be broken and emotional really kills me. Uh, and I think she's amazing in this movie. Yeah, you really, you really, really go on a journey with every one of these characters, um, yeah. and some of them you don't like at the end, but 
my God, when you like realize what they've been through. And I think that's, that's all portrayed really well on, on screen and, and they express like, you know, like even in, in a lot of times, not in words, like what they've been through. Uh, it's just so great. Um, like all, you know, all the praise and love to Sarah Polly for directing this movie. Also, yeah. you know, she wrote the screenplay um, with Miriam Toes, T-O-E-W-S, Toes. Yeah, it's the woman who wrote the original novel, I believe. Oh, right. Um, so, yeah, like, uh, and and when you're watching this movie, you know, it's, it's, it, it takes place mostly in a barn, which I think is, is helpful to for everyone watching is like just sit and and, yeah. and listen to the story yeah this has a, to me this has like a vibe of like i don't know maybe when the crucible first came out yeah you know as, as a play and then a movie or like to kill a mockingbird or like some of these some of these kind of somebody compared it to 12 angry men which yes, i think is yeah. a really interesting one right like yeah. But I think it's like it's one of those like benchmark moments where you're like this. This is something that that everyone should experience. Like, I would love them for this. I would love this to be brought to to a stage where you're like, you know, like you're like the energy exchange between like a live cast display, um, and just like kind of holding space for that would be I think would be amazing. So. It's a, it's a really important film. I think it's a really, it's like, you can't just sit back and watch this film. Like you have to like invest and you have to like be ready for it, but it's, you get a lot, you know, you get a, a so much more out of it than, than what you put in by just, just sit, be, just sit there and be open to it. You know? Yeah. I think this is a movie that is going to, you know, we, we talk about movies that are sort of a little disposable. Uh, This does not feel disposable. This feels like, a, it is um, sort of an amazing amount of actors uh, at the high point or that that are heading towards the high points of their career. Um, mm-hmm. It's also a story that I think is super important to be told. And I think it's it's amazing because I, I listened to a couple of interviews uh, with Sarah Polly. And one of the questions she was asked is like, do you engage with the writer of the book when you're adapting like this? And she said, yeah, actually, one of the first things I did was ask, like, what is the most important thing you don't want me to lose? And she said the humor of the community, right? Mm. There, there's there's an aspect to this that is like it's not don't don't portray them as uh, as this cult of like you know uh, sad religious women, you know mm-hmm. like uh, there's there's a love and intimacy and affection and humor that they have with one another um, that is written yeah. in the book and it comes across. There's like intimacy and love in the, the way that they comfort one another, right? Like when they're telling their stories, there's a, there's a physical affection. There's a, a, a setting a hand on a back. There's a, and, and that is captured in this movie. And I, I really hope that um, more people see this film. I, I'm, I'm yeah. so disgruntled with the rollout of this and distribution of this film. I, I, I don't understand what they ended up doing. They, there was, there was talk of it being released in the beginning of December and then uh, that it was going to go wide by Christmas. And and I, I don't understand what happened. Um, I think it's actually hurt the cast. I think it's hurt Sarah Polly um, and their chances for more critical acclaim and more yeah. acknowledgement at the award circuit. Yeah, I mean, this movie coming out in January, 
uh, it's going to be tough for this to like just be remembered when next year's award season comes around. But, but I hope that like, I, Oh no, it's, it's part of the 2022 release schedule. Oh, it is. It released oh, in okay. December. Yeah. So the problem oh, here is, wide release. Oh, gotcha. right. It's wide release didn't happen. And, and even today, right. Like I live within driving distance of five theaters. It's mm-hmm. only in two of them. And one I never go to, cause it's actually not in my area. It's actually, Distance wise, it's it's a lot further. It only takes about 45 minutes for me to drive there. But when it comes down to it, it's not one I ever even think of going to. Yeah. Um, so this I had to see at Angelica. It's the only one it was available at. And I have a Cinemark. I have a Alamo Drafthouse. I have an AMC. I have a Regal. I have, you know, all of these theaters within driving distance. And the only one that had it in my area that I think of when I think of going to the movies was the Angelica. Yeah, I had to go into New York to see this movie. I there's no in the suburb suburban area which I live that's not playing yet. Yeah. Hopefully it will later or they'll get a they'll stream it somewhere or yeah. something. Um, um if you haven't been dissuaded by us, I suggest you go see it. I, I can't champion this movie more. I think it's a, a powerful and important story. I think it's extremely effective and amazing storytelling by Sarah Polly. And I think the cast is just sublime. I, I think there's there's beauty and and power and um, some of the most subtle, caring like performances I've seen all year. Um, I was extremely moved by this movie. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, there's more we could talk about it, but we but you should go see it. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I we'll just stop it there. I think uh, pretty pleased with Sugar on Top. Go see this movie. Uh, when it comes to streaming, stream it, show it to your family. Uh, I think it's one of those movies that'll inspire a lot of conversation. Um, and I hope that, um, I hope coming out of this, that Sarah Polly gets more opportunities. She had, uh, she, so in one of her interviews, I, she said that she had given birth to a child and then, uh, had a concussion that affected her for like three years. And she didn't think she would even ever be able to, uh, be on a set and leading a perform, uh, leading a movie again. Uh, and they told her like, why not find a way to make, you know, uh, life balance happen for you. So the, the production company and the, the people who were involved were very supportive of her. And, and I'm so glad that they gave her the space and the opportunity to do this. Uh, I'm really hopeful to see what she does next. Yeah. I mean, talk about a girl who came from go and dawn of the dead to, you know, like direct writing and directing this, like, she acted in those movies. I, I really liked her as an actress. I think she's still probably, I'm sure, is still, still continues to be a great actress. But my gosh, it's so nice when like you're like, oh my gosh, you have a you have a vision, and yeah. I want to support your. Vision. And she went off and did a bunch of writing while she was on uh, her hiatus, and also yeah. directed and wrote some television. So yeah. I think you can feel there, there's a honing of her craft in the time since the last film she made. And uh, I, I, I can only imagine that the next film will be also pretty astounding. Um, I hope that uh, she gets the time to and, and the support to be the director that she is. Because uh, when given the time, she can make an amazing film. And that's really my, my takeaway from this film. I'm, I'm so in awe of what was accomplished and, and the performances of everyone involved. Yeah. Agreed. And on that note... Yeah, we have to figure out what we're doing next week. But John and I are going to attend the virtual uh, Sundance uh, next weekend 
so we'll get a chance to see, uh, I think it's eight of the feature award-winning films. So uh, we're not sure what direction we're going to go. It may be a recap of Sundance. We may squeeze in a film uh, and, and choose to do a main review of something else. Uh, mm-hmm. But it will be a jam-packed show. I am sure of it. Uh, I look forward to talking to you, John, about Sundance. And uh, anything else you have to say? Uh, that I enjoyed this conversation. I enjoy this conversation every week. Hopefully everyone listening enjoys it. And I thank them for listening. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next week. Adios. This has been a Geek on Film podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.